What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, it's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you once again. It feels like it's only been a week, but it feels like it's been a long time for some reason, at least to me. I'm Anthony Cazenza, and I'm joined by John Sharon. I don't know, John, it's kind of a weird feeling. Maybe it's just because we we only did the one show last week instead of the couple, but it seems like it's been an eternity, maybe because also the holiday, since we last took the air, but it's good to be live again. Good to see you again. You're looking... You're looking well groomed, my friend. I saw you, you you making sure everything was in place before we took the air. How's your fourth, man? My fourth was great. Um, I had my mom's 60th birthday party on Saturday. Oh yeah, the the infamous party. How was that? The infamous party. Oh man, I have a story for you. Um, so my sister bought these. Uh, I don't I don't remember what 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 the balloon is made of, but it's like the the really big ones. They're like kind of like shiny and like metallic. It has a word for them, but she bought these balloons on Amazon that spell out my mom's name. Her name's Kathy, but she couldn't find a Y, so it just was Kath. So we took these balloons to our local Kroger to blow them up, and the the, the lady behind the counter uh, overinflated the tea. So when my dad was walking the balloon back to the car, it just popped over his shoulder. Oh, geez. Yeah, and then the A in Kath was also had a hole in it, so that was underinflated. So we had a K and an H, but no AT. So we come home. My dad rushes to Michael's to get these like little tiny yellow balloons and an A and a T to fit in between the K and the H. And it basically ended up working out fine because it kind of looks a little artsy where you have just like the two big letters at the end and kind of the two smallers in the middle. But other than that, party was a, party was a success. All of her friends were there. All of, all of her family was there. We got really drunk at midnight when she when her birthday was officially time and it, it was all, it was all fun. And then my birthday was the eighth. Um, was I'm it? Sure nobody cared. Yeah, it was. I almost, oh. I was born right after my mom, a little, a little overshadowed this year for, for good measure, but I didn't, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. I, uh, no, no, nobody cares when you turn 23. Everybody cares when you turn 60 though. Well, You're obviously now we're, now we're close to 60. Mind you. Uh, th- yeah. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> If it makes you feel better, John, uh, we were joking about this and talking about it a little bit before the air. You are, I, I found out you are now as old as my air conditioning unit at my house. So, <laughs> uh, so, uh, happy birthday, man. I didn't, I didn't know that was, uh, gosh, we're, we're, we're buds. We're, we're Bengals comrades here. And, uh, I didn't know that about you. I feel bad, but off to, off to get you a little something. Yeah. I'll be waiting your gift in the mail. Okay. Give me your address. Give me your address. I'll, I'll show. I'll show up in person. That'll be yes, perfect. That'll be the gift. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is the Orange and Black Insider. Good to good to be back. Um, we are going to try and do a listener question, uh, another mini show uh, at the end of this week. Um, surprise, surprise to you guys, I guess, John. But we're going to try and do that. Uh, so once we figure out a time for that, we'll we'll do that, and obviously all of that will be on our feed, as will this episode. And of course, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Megaphone, on YouTube, and cincyjungle.com. Subscribe to our channels, get the show how you can. If you're a new listener, thanks for tuning in. We hope you're enjoying our content. Leave us a rating on on those uh, platforms. Keep listening to us and join us for our listener question segments, as well as other things we'll be putting out um, we'll be we'll be putting out some fantasy football things um, probably during the season. I think we'll do like an around the AFC North type of quick 
quick hit around type of thing and and other things. We're going to try and get you with a lot of content, especially as training camp preseason and the regular season comes. So check us out and subscribe to our channels how you can. Anthony, did you know that we are three weeks away from football? It's been a long summer, but we are three weeks away from football, which is kind of insane. It is. Um, I, I I guess, I mean, part of me, yes, knew that, but I've had so many other ancillary crap going on that, uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to primarily focus on that. But yes, uh, I, I guess subconsciously, I was aware. And I don't know if any of you guys consider the Hall of Fame game to be actual football, because honestly, it's about a series of preseason action and then just three and a half quarters of utter BS. But the Hall of Fame game is August 1st between the Broncos and Falcons. And the Hall of Fame, in general, became a pressing topic for Bengals Nation over the past couple weeks. Um, There was recent news about a proposal going to the Hall of Fame board, committee, whatever you want to call it, the people who run the show up there, Ken, about how for the NFL's 100th anniversary, the centennial class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, they were considering putting 20 inductees instead of the traditional eight five modern members a couple senior members and a contributor instead of eight they're considering putting putting it to 20 for the year 2020 the nfl was formed 1920 the whole significance of 20 is there so naturally we're thinking about okay this is an opportunity for certain members specifically senior members because the majority of those 20 people are going to be um senior candidates guys who have been retired for more than 25 years guys who have been primarily just overlooked in the overall voting in process who haven't really been appearing on a lot of ballots who haven't really been given the chance to be put in pretty much long past due. And a couple of those guys who have the best cases out of most of the senior guys who've been overlooked played for the Bengals. And as we all know, Bengals only have one hall of famer in Anthony Munoz. He was inducted in 1998, but Ken Anderson and Ken Riley specifically have waited a combined 57 years to get into the hall of fame. And um, I think it was Anderson is way Riley's way 30 Anderson's way 27 and Anderson specifically has basically been on top of everyone's list as some of one of the biggest snubs guys who have been overlooked in, in this process for quite some time. So with this potential news of putting 20 members in most of them being senior, does this actually give Ken Anderson and Riley therefore a significant bump and in, an increase in chance to actually get into the Hall of Fame? Uh, yeah, it should, um, and I, I think I think that it is. It's pretty. It's pretty criminal that not more than one Bengal player is is enshrined as a Cincinnati Bengal in the Hall of Fame. Um, I, I, you know, you've got guys like Charlie Joyner who are in the Hall of Fame who played for the Bengals, but he's not a Bengal, right? Um, mm-hmm. There are other players in there who played for the Bengals, but is not in there. Uh, they are not in there as a Cincinnati Bengal. There are a lot of players who are worthy there. This this discussion opens up a, a larger discussion, but I think that yes, this definitely will pave the way for if they do that. If they pass this kind of larger class for the you know the anniversary type of thing, yes, it will pave the way. Probably probably not both. But probably, probably Ken Anderson, I, I would say, would get in because of the the position. Um, you know, he, he was an NFL MVP. I, I think that that would pave the way for that. You know, for me, Ken Riley was awesome. Ken and and I didn't. I was not. I, I am not old enough to have seen him like in his prime of his career. I, I've obviously seen clips and and early games and all that kind of stuff. But um, to me, that's kind of a. Uh, what do you want to call that? I guess a um, a career award. I mean, he he, he was he wasn't overly uh, he didn't make it a, a lot of Pro Bowls. I think he only made one actually mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of his career. Yeah. Right, and you know he, he was he, it's more of a lifetime achievement award rather than a, a you know an explosive player. That's I, when I look at things. That's kind of why I, I, I wonder about other players. And granted, this seems to be an anomaly in terms of the the hall of fame opening this up to other players. But I mean, you look at a guy like Lamar Parrish, um, uh, eight years with the Bengals, 25 interceptions. He had 47 interceptions 
in total. Four pick sixes, uh, you know, made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Pro Bowls, I believe. Um, you know, a lot, some of those were made as a returner, but I mean, a guy that's a guy who's really explosive. You then look at guys that were snubs and overlooked because of the 1990s Bengals that were teams that were awful. Willie Anderson and Corey Dillon are two guys who I think should be in the conversation um, coming up. So, you know, my hope is that at least one of the, one of the Kens makes it, I think if they open it up to more senior candidates, I think Ken Anderson gets in. I don't know that Ken Riley does, but hopefully that then creates more awareness for other Bengals players that came after Ken Anderson that were on poorer teams that still deserve Hall of Fame mention. By the way, Chad Johnson is another guy who probably should be in that breath as well. Um, not probably didn't have the stats or weren't was not on some of the teams that a Randy Moss or a Terrell Owens were were on. But you know, for a handful of years, those three guys were the guys um, at the position. So, you know, I, I, I guess my hope is that uh, I hope both of them get in. I don't think both of them will get in. I think it's probably Anderson over Riley if they expand it. But my, my ultimate hope is that beyond that, more awareness is created for other guys that, that should be getting consideration that were Bengals players. Yeah. I think the logic would be that Ken Anderson was, was, a, was a better quarterback in the overall broader span of, quarterback play in history than Riley was a defense back, even if Ken Riley is, I think, still in the top five or eight in terms of interceptions, and he was consistent throughout his career. But I asked that question and phrased it like that because you, you you would think logically, like, you know, if more senior guys get in than one of the, you know, one of the senior guys that has always been neglected has a better shot. But I, he was actually asked about it by um, the new Cincinnati Inquirer writer, Tyler Dragon, um, who was just hired a couple weeks ago. He was asked, by Dragon, if his chances would, would get in. And he said, I don't know if increasing the class of 20 helps my chances out. And he basically answered that because he cited that the main reason why quarterbacks are, you know, wh why the quarterbacks who get into the Hall of Fame get in is mainly because of Super Bowl championships. The one position, quote, the one position that they judge you on a championship is the quarterback position. That's how quarterbacks are judged. Did you win it all? There's debate who's the greatest quarterback of all time. Yada, yada, yada. Talks about Tom Brady and Otto Graham. So obviously Anderson is still humble in the, in the sense where he didn't win it all. He had the chance to win it all, but that, you know, black blemish on his resume has still haunted him to his, to this day. And, uh, but I think it goes beyond that for players who didn't win the championship. If, if, if you didn't have that, you know, subjective requirement on your resume, I think you have to look at how did they impact the game? Can you talk about them when talking about the position in the era that you played? And I think, both of those definitely apply for Anderson, just objectively speaking. He was one of the most accurate quarterbacks of the 1970, maybe the most accurate quarterbacks of the 1970s. You like his completion percentage for a couple of seasons in the mid 70s was just unheard of. It, it would be considered average today, but back then, when it was so much harder to push the ball down the field, he was deadly accurate and he was deadly efficient with the ball. And his career numbers stack up against the test of time. When he retired, I think he was like one of the top leaders in completion percentage and just touchdown interception ratio in general. And when you adjust his numbers for error, which I think we have to do for these senior candidates, his numbers definitely stack up over time. So j just looking at his impact and how much better he was compared to some of his peers at that time and how much how well his numbers stack up compared to the test of time only enhances his case the longer that he is left out of the hall because even if time is moving on, his numbers still look pretty damn good to me. And I think that's essentially what creates the argument for him. If you're not going to win a championship, you, your numbers need to stand the test of time, specifically at quarterback, and you need to, and you, your numbers need to have dominated that area. And I think the argument definitely applies for him. Yeah, I, I think he had, um, you know, I'm looking it up. He was, he was 25 of 34 for 300 yards, two touchdowns. Um, in the in the Super Bowl loss to the 49ers, I think at the time he had set a completion percentage record mm -hmm. uh, for a Super Bowl, um, and then I think it was broken by Phil Simms and then uh, maybe Tom Brady. After that, I'd have to look, but I think at the time uh, that stood for a little bit that he had he had broken a Super Bowl record for completion percentage by a quarterback, which you know is no is no small feat, especially considering the fact that he played Joe Montana in that game. So um, one of the most accurate quarterbacks as well ever. So uh, yeah, I mean I hope I hope that 
I just hope more awareness is brought to this team right. on this on this front and and some of the players that they've had. I, I, it's it's long overdue. I think a lot of things are playing against this team. Obviously, lack of success in in the postseason and Super Bowl championships being one. I think the uh, I don't think this ownership group is uh, the most well liked amongst its peers. I think um, you know they're they're a little. You don't say. Yeah, I mean I. I I'm trying to be as nice as possible in saying that I don't. I don't know that they're the they're at the popular lunch table. Um, you know, when it comes time for the <laughs> the owners' meetings and everything. So, uh, you know, I I, I I guess I just um, you know, like I said, I'd, I'd like to think that this this team would. Uh, I'd like to see more awareness about some of these past greats that have played for this team, especially some ones from the mid '90s now. Uh, who to some who just retired that uh, should be getting considered for for the Hall of Fame, kind of along these same well not not so much on the same same lines. Um, you I, I think it was you who put up the post about the Pro Football Focus Hall of Fame uh, that the Geno Atkins and uh, uh, AJ Green are creating a Hall of Fame resume. Um, I guess briefly, I mean. I think we all agree that they are they are creating them, but I mean, are these guys? I would hate to see both of those guys be snubs, yeah. um, <laughs> and a track record of a lot of other guys. I mean, I think we can agree that they probably should be uh, in the Hall of Fame at some point. It, it's tricky, I think, because the receiver portion of Ken is extremely saturated and it's very hard for receivers who aren't Randy Moss and Trollin to get in, especially early. So I think if green is, is going to get in, it, it, it depends on how long he plays and how dominant he is. I think him and Gino are kind of in that same boat. If they're not going to have that team success, the postseason success, that a lot of lesser players can kind of fall back on and the hall of fame community just eats, eats those team wins up or whatever. They're going to have to play for, they're going to have to finish out the remainder of their prime still at the top of their game. They can't afford to have a fallout at any time soon, even, you know, eight or nine years into their career with green. I think what goes against him is the not, not nothing to do with his play. I think when you look at some of the guys in the hall of fame and just kind of the mark they left on the game in the league in itself and kind of the personalities that they exude and the bravado that they have green's kind of just a, definitely not along the lines of those sorts of personalities. And, I don't know if you could ever make the case that he was the best receiver in the NFL because just when he was ascending, the passing game just exploded and then receivers got better and better and got more productive. And he was still always in that top tier, but he was never exactly, I guess, the, the A1, if you will. Now you can definitely make an argument for some of the years, but it, it's, it's kind of a little shaky with that. I think for him to eventually get in, he just has to remain dominant for at least another four to five years then you look at that resume he gets in like the top 10 or 15 in receiving yards whatever you're thinking this guy was pretty good and not not and not only that but he was good primarily with a team that didn't have exactly top level quarterback play all the time and, and how he sometimes carried an offense with gino i think it's a different story i think there was a case where he was probably the best three technique in the league at, at the time not only that but he just changed the way we looked at how we evaluate interior rushers and that's something i wrote in that article you know, he wasn't the first, you know, sub 6'1", sub 300 pound interior passers to take the lead by storm. You know, there was John Randall back in the day. There was Warren Sapp who kind of revolutionized that position. Maybe not Warren Sapp, he was a little bigger. But Geno Atkins, when he first ascended, it kind of paved the way for guys like Aaron Donald, Grady Jarrett, Mike Daniels, and just all these other guys who didn't necessarily look the traditional part of, at the position. But you just realized that, hey, leverage matters more than size and the ability to just push the pocket back even if you're not, you know, a dominating presence, that that matters. And and it's kind of changed how we evaluate guys at those positions coming out of college and has given a lot of other guys who maybe didn't look the part 10 years ago a chance to succeed. And I think Gino was a, an incredible part of that because he was a fourth-round pick, you know, played at a major school but wasn't necessarily a major prospect. But then as soon as he came into the league, he just dominated and he just kind of ran with it. And he's been dominant for the better part of the 2010s. And you can't really talk about that position nowadays without men mentioning him and just the ascension of that position and its importance in building the team. So I think his overall dominance, his production, and his overall impact at that position, I think it gives him a tremendous argument. And again, if he just remains dominant for four or five years, even without a Super Bowl, I think you have to make a definite case for him, you know, very soon after he, he retires. Yeah, it's it's actually really funny that you brought up John Randall and Warren Sapp because that's where I was kind of going. Like, 
if you remember, you could kind of say from, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, Geno Atkins was kind of the John Randall and then Aaron Donald comes in and in terms of pop popularity and being the guy at that position. And then all of a sudden Aaron Donald comes in, he's kind of the Warren Sapp. And then, you know, still Geno Atkins is still getting a lot of accolades like John Randall did, but um, you know, he's overshadowed shadowed by Sapp and maybe, you know, John Randall, quit after the 2003 season and he did not get into the hall of fame uh until 2010 so you know potentially maybe that's what happens especially if a guy like aaron donald retires around the same time as geno atkins where aaron donald would probably based on everybody drooling over him at the at this moment in time and rightfully so maybe he gets in on the first ballot and geno has to wait a little bit I, I totally agree with you on the AJ Green take oversaturation of the position and everybody's got their own top fives. It seems as if when AJ was healthy playing full seasons, he was always in that top five, if not top two, top three, but he's recently kind of fallen out of prominence. And then of course, a lot of those guys are having big games on big stages where everybody's watching these playoff games, these Super Bowls. And uh, A.J. Green just hasn't had those opportunities. Um, and when he has, he's either had Andy Dalton playing awful in those playoff games and he has not put up the stats or he's had A.J. McCarron there uh, to throw <laughs> in the football. So, um, you know, unfortunately, it's there's that situation going on there. But I think both are deserving. They just I, I don't know that they're first ballot guys. They may have to wait a bit, but I, I think. You know, um, they're both deserving. And I think A.J. will probably need a handful of those A.J. Green standard years, those, you know, 80, 90 catch, 11, 1200 yard, 10 touchdown seasons, probably another at least two or three of those to really be cementing himself uh, just because of the oversaturation in the uh, with the position. But um, hopefully those are guys that do not get overlooked like some other Bengals in for Hall of Fame contention. Um Oh gosh, John, do we do we need to go here? Uh, uh, we've been talking about some positivity and uh, trying to trying trying to think back to some Bengals greats, and now as we kind of look at the news cycle, there is no news, but also kind of bad news with Clint Bowling, I suppose. Um, more more of implied news, I guess. Yes. You know? Um. We've talked about the the offensive line ad nauseum, especially since Jonah Williams, it was found out a couple of weeks ago that he will be missing the 2019 season with a shoulder injury. We don't fully know what's going on with Clint Bowling. Probably, quite honestly, it's probably something very similar to Jonah Williams. We've heard murmurs of a shoulder issue and it could be a thing much like what the Bengals were trying to do. Maybe it's something that they are seeing if, it kind of either heals on its own or is something that he feels that without strenuous work and rest, maybe it can get to a point where he can play through it for this final year of his contract without needing surgery. Um, again, that's speculation on my part. We have not really been given a lot of information on this, but uh, a recent report from Paul Danner Jr., who is now with The Athletic, um, I, gosh, what did it say, John? Basically, it's um, uh, mum's kind of the word, and it's not really looking good. Uh, I, I, I guess is kind of the the the, the crux of the the information there. Uh, it says I, I've been told the club is still trying to get a handle on Bowling's injury. I I don't really know what that means, considering he's been <laughs> sidelined with an undisclosed issue throughout the off season. None of that sounds very good. Yeah. So um, instead of, you know, we could sit here and we could talk, oh, you know, Christian Westerman's going to get his shot at left guard and all this kind of stuff. I, I think especially now with Jonah Williams, Jonah Williams 2020 campaign, right? I mean, that's kind of, we, we have yep. to look to that now. Um, how much of an emphasis does this now yet again place on the offensive line to be invested in Next year, next offseason, you know, I hate to look to next offseason, but that's really where the Bengals are probably going to need to make adjustments. You now have Cordy Glenn, uh, another year older at that point, Clint Bowling, whether he plays or not this year, free agent, Jonah Williams, finally, hopefully coming back. Um, a lot of fluidity there. I mean, is that now, does this now place 
offensive line as the primary priority for next offseason, given Bowling and Jonah Williams, or is it quarterback? Is it wide receiver with AJ Green potentially leaving in free agency? What what what's what's the game plan here? Yeah, and when you think something with a Bengals injury is bad, it's typically worse. And it's kind of yeah. funny how they're the only team with an MRI uh, in, in the stadium. I think it's just like brandly implemented. You have these things kind of keep happening. But yeah, I think we can just basically assume the worst for Clint Bowling right now. Um, Joe Goodbear is told by multiple sources that it's just not looking good at all. And he's probably not going to be on the team coming up in, in, in this season. And just, you know, about a month back, we were talking about this exact situation and how the potential benefits of of removing bowling from the roster altogether could put them in better position for the long term. And I think when you're talking about potentially investing further in the offensive line, it's going to be at that position. And I think the optimal investment right now is looking to be Christian Westerman, because again, the small sample size is concerning only about 200 career snaps for him, but they've been 200 quality snaps. And I think at this point, if you have this opportunity to see what you have in him when your long-term starter at the position is basically his career is essentially over, his, his peak days are essentially over, you're given the opportunity to see what you have for him. One year left on his contract. You haven't officially burned that bridge yet. Maybe if the if the um, if the 2018 staff was still on, on still on 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 the books, then that's probably a bridge that you would have burned by now. But I think this gives Westerman a new life. And we've been talking about guys who who have new life on this coaching staff. John, John Ross being the main example, I think you can kind of group Westerman in with that as well because if you give him the chance to start, you see what you see how he does. Presumably, he does fairly okay. We haven't seen him over a long stretch, but there's going to be some highs, there's going to be some lows. But I think that's like your initial plan this year is to see if he's worthy of some you know mid mid to long term extension going into 2020 to finally solidify that position because you look at the rest of the at, at the look at the rest of the positions on the offensive line. You have Billy Price for the next three years. Unfortunately, you have Bobby Hart for the next two years. You have John Miller for two years going on beyond this. You have Cordy Glenn, I think, for two or one more years. And obviously, you have Jonah Williams coming back for four more years starting in 2020. So the rest of the positions, as long as they're serviceable, you have some sense of stability there. But we just don't know if those pieces who you have invested for for however long are going to be worthy of going the distance on those contracts. So I think right now the plan would just be to have Westerman start or give him the chance to start first. If he doesn't work out, then you have a Band-Aid and John Jerry or even Trey Hopkins in there, which you're not entirely comfortable with. And then you probably have to look at, at some f- sort of new, fresh long-term uh, fixture there at that at that position. But, you know, the, the loss of Williams here really stinks because that definitely throws everything in, into the into the frying pan, into the mixer, and you're not really sure what's going to come out. But yeah, until this position group is solved, it's always going to be under the microscope of how can we solve it? Are there other ways to kind of mitigate this? Do we have to just look at just getting a better quarterback who can handle an average to sub subpar offensive line? It doesn't have to be coddled with perfect protection all the time. And I think that's definitely an avenue that they should have considered in this draft, but obviously they fell otherwise because they drafted Ryan Finley. But regardless, <laughs> like, yeah, like... <laughs> not, not so subtle jab right there. Yeah, not, not so subtle. But yeah, like... Until the offensive line's fixed, you have to fix it if this is if this is your modus operandi. But I think there is or there should be just an easy plan right out in front of them, and that's just throw Westerman into the fire, see if he's worthy of that extension. If he is, then you have another position on the offensive line with some sort of stability. Yeah. Uh you look at um you know Will Smith in the live YouTube chat, Cordy Glenn, uh, Christian Westerman, Billy Price, John Miller, Bobby Hart will be the starting five. I mean, as of now, that does look like the case. Um, that sounds a lot different than Jonah Williams, Clint Bowling, or, or, you know, Cordy Glenn, you know, not having, not having the trio of, of Cordy Glenn, Jonah Williams, and Clint Bowling on your offensive line, um, not having them all there, obviously Glenn, uh, knock on wood, seems to be healthy and ready to go. But not having that trio uh, stings. And I think bowling, you know, whatever happens here, hopefully he comes back. I think, regardless, I think it's time, especially with this injury situation, I think after this year it's probably time to move on from bowling because of yes. age and, and this deal. But um, it would have been nice to have him for a bridge year, especially because of his experience, his talent level. Uh, he still played at a, at, a, at a pretty high level last year. Um and his versatility. I mean, he suited up at a lot of different spots for this for this offensive line. That would have been nice to have. He obviously has a rapport with Andy Dalton too. So, um, 
We don't know if he's done for the year. We don't know if he's done for any type of uh, extended period of time, except for the fact that he missed OTAs. We'll see what happens. But so far, it does not sound like it is looking very good for Clint Bowling and the entire offensive line and not quite the start on that area for uh, that, that Jim Turner and Zach Taylor wanted, I am sure. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're, we're talking about Hall of Fame. We're talking about Clint Bowling injury. Uh, we're talking about a lot of different stuff. We've got a couple more segments coming up here. Um, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it on Megaphone. You can also get it on YouTube and CincyJungle.com. So get the show how you can. Subscribe to those channels. We look forward to um, we look forward to getting you more content coming up here. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an interesting topic I, I kind of came up with and wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, initially, and I'm glad you reined it in to give you some credit, John. Um, I kind of said, well, who's the most important or impactful player coming back from injured reserve? That, the, the, a guy that was on injured reserve in 2018 that's set to come back in 2019, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, uh, the the cynic in me is, well, you know, there's there's so many people that are not of the Dalton ilk. You know, maybe he may not be everybody's choice. Um, I, I think we can probably shove that one aside because I think anytime you get your starting quarterback back, one who has made Pro Bowls, one who has made the postseason, regardless of the validity behind some of those, I think anytime you get your starting quarterback back, under a new head coach, that's that's probably the most impactful. But there are a lot of other guys, and and your recent article on Cincy Jungle kind of made me think of this on on Carl Lawson. Um, he's kind of been doing a little bit of a media tour recently, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Who are some of the most? Who is the most important, impactful player coming back? from IR, I guess, outside of Andy Dalton, because we'll kind of exclude that just because that seems to be the obvious consensus answer. Um, I mean, you've got even Tyler Boyd under the year on on IR. A.J. Green did. Carl Lawson did. Ryan Glasgow did. Um, Tyler Eifert did. Uh, so, I mean, who, who if you had to pick one of the – a guy of those names or others that I didn't mention, who do you think set to come back in 2019 – will have the biggest impact um, after being on IR last year. So I think it has to be AJ Green. And I'm kind of hesitant with just wide receivers in general with this because, you know, pass rushers get 20, 30 snaps a game. Offensive linemen start the entire game. Wide receivers get maybe six to eight targets, 10 targets a game. But with just the way that AJ Green has carried the Bengals offense for eight, nine years has been nothing short of incredulous. And just the way that he's produced with Andy Dalton as, as his quarterback has been astounding. And how he's still managed to produce at a high level with all this other exterior circumstances coming about him. So when he went down, the Bengals defense kind of picked itself back up after firing Terrell Austin under Marvin Lewis. Obviously still didn't finish very well in terms of end of the year rankings. But relative to where they were, they were better. And yet they still finished one and nine because the offense just crapped the bed. And we don't know how much different that would have been had Green been on the field, even with Jeff Driscoll as his quarterback. But just looking at A.J. Green compared to other receivers and their impact on just keeping the offense afloat, I think he's definitely in the top five. You want to talk about wide receiver, top five, top ten, just the most impactful to their own offense. A.J. Green has always been, regardless if he's been on top of his game, the amount of, you know, the the amount of the offense that is run through A.J. and how he impacts other pass catchers and just the offense in general 
is uh, incredulous. And you look at just Tyler Boyd in, in general and how great he was when AJ Green was on the field in, in, in his year three and how the difference in his production dropped off when Tyler Boyd basically had to replace AJ Green as that, as that X guys that split and as that number one option in the offense. So just bringing Green back will definitely help out Boyd. It'll help out everybody else. It'll definitely help out Dalton because, you know, as, as we just mentioned, the offense and offense under Dalton has run through Green so much over the years and how he's constantly, you know, in tops and market share in terms of other receivers in the league. So, yeah, like a part of me wanted to say Lawson because just the overall, un, you know, uncertainty of the pass rush in general and how Lawson is definitely the second best. And I don't think there's a close third at the moment. But just looking at what the offense is and, and isn't with AJ Green on the field and off the field, it, it's astounding the difference. And it's it's hard to look at other receivers and see a, a, a more drastic impact when they're on and off the field. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm. I'm t- that's not an. I mean, that's not a wrong answer. Um, and that's definitely a guy, or it's it's probably the most obvious answer. Um, no, right. You know, offense to you, but it, 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 I'm, it. I'm trying to make the easy answer. Here. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I guess I shouldn't say the most obvious. It is the easiest answer, probably because it is in a in a lot of ways the most correct. Um, and you know, Andy Dalton for better or for worse, uh, targets A.J. Green quite a bit. This team was very different. Remember remember that Ravens game on Thursday night? I think it was yeah. week two. A.J. Green was a monster. Um, and, you know, really, if you look back to the success the Bengals have had against the Ravens recently, it is largely due to A.J. Green. Um, and and the, you know, the, the big play, the outstanding plays he has made against that team, which – helped propel them into all those postseason bursts. You can definitely talk about him. I'm torn because quite honestly, there are two guys I'm looking at. Um, Lawson is one. Now I, I hesitate because of the lack of sacks that he put up um, last year, but we know that he put up an immense amount of pressures. He was very close. A lot of quarterback hits last year. And then of course the season was just cut short. So um, that that didn't really do him any favors, but seeing as how how bad the defense was in so many areas last year, that the Bengals will now be moving on from Michael Johnson, leaning more heavily on guys like Sam Hubbard, potentially a disappointing Jordan Willis and others. They need a guy like Lawson to step up and uh, play well. So I think, in a way, I guess Lawson is maybe the most needed. Um, but I think the guy who will have a, a, a bigger impact, if that if you, if there is a line to draw between those two uh, uh, descriptions there, is Tyler Eifert. Um, and I, I, I say this because, you know, you notice the difference when A.J. Green is out of the offense and when he's in the offense. You notice it a lot also when Tyler Eifert's out of the offense. And recently, PFF... Uh, put out a top 10 ranking, I guess, of top 10 quarterback receiver tandems in the NFL. Now, this this is kind of – it should be quarterback pass catcher tandems. It shouldn't be receiver. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, combined for 138 receptions, 20 touchdowns, 1,665 yards on just 183 attempts. Now, unfortunately, the attempts and everything and those numbers would be a lot larger if Eifert stayed healthy. But the big number to me – Eifert has 9.1 yards per target. Green has 8.2. Green's catch rate is 55%. Eifert's is 75.4. So I've talked a long time about uh, the the fact that Andy Dalton, and I think we all agree, uh, Andy Dalton is, he likes those intermediate throws. He is quite accurate uh, in the middle parts of the field uh, to guys like green and Eifert. So I, I think this plays into that, but a seven, 75% success rate with a guy like that, it speaks to Eifert's catch radius. It speaks to Dalton's comfort level with him. This offense is just different. And of course the red zone, uh, Eifert is a monster in the red zone, not the green is not, but Eifert is a monster in the red zone. And, this team is just this offense is just different with a guy like that, and I think that that is not a dynamic player that Zach Taylor had on the Rams last year. Now they had some decent tight ends, but not an Eifert. And I think if he comes back and is, you know, ninety to ninety-five percent 
of the player that we've seen. Um, I think that that is a big, a big boost to this team. And I think that every, and, and we say this now almost every year because he ends up on IR almost every year. Yeah. Um, uh, it just, if, if, if he, if he can stay healthy, it's just, it's, it's a, it's incredible what he can bring. And that's why they keep bringing him back. Cause they're like, Oh my gosh, you're, <laughs> you're such a tease <laughs> uh, because they know what he has done. Uh, and they know what, what this offense can be with him. Um, and I want to credit Nick Manchester at cincyjungle.com for, for a couple of those statistics that I threw out there. But, um, to me, that is, and and in today's NFL, the the hybrid tight end, wide receiver type of player like an Eifert just makes a big difference. Yeah, the only reason why I didn't even consider him is because he's never this time, this time next year we're going to be talking about the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's never healthy. Yeah, uh, I need to see it first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and really, I don't, like I said, I don't, no matter who you choose here, I don't think there's a wrong answer. I mean, I, I guess, I guess you could say Boyd, but Boyd really only missed the last couple of, of games of the season. So when he was put on IR, so that's, you know, his impact was, was felt already being there. So, um, you know, I think, uh, I, I think that wouldn't, that wouldn't make too big of a difference. Uh, death, death to religion. Uh, says Eifert is great when available, but the RBs need to line up as wide receivers a lot more than what they do. Um, they don't even need to do that. They need to just run better routes and instead of these just swinging fly routes out of the backfield. Yeah, you, you just just go look at look at some look at some Todd Gurley highlights as a pass catcher, and you'll see him run Texas routes down the field routes lined up as as a running back. There's more creative ways to get the ball to a running back than just line him out in the slot. It's yeah. incredulous what you can do with them. Yeah, and the Bengals have a couple of running backs who are uh, adept at catching the football, so uh, they they should use that more, and maybe even uh, multiple backs out there at the same time. Clay Langenspiegen says Green. I think the touchdown numbers are in his favor. Yeah, so he's he's in agreement with you. Um, Matthew Wayne Smith says I want to see a healthy linebacking core. Yeah, that you know that's that's a forgotten one. You know, P- Preston Brown. Um, you know, a myriad of others. Vontez Perfect was, you know, a mess last year. Now, granted, they're not getting him back in 2019, but uh, a healthy linebacker core definitely would go a long way to help the defense. So, um, but for now, my colleague is going to go with AJ Green, and I will go with Tyler Eifert. But Carl Lawson, to me, is uh, a very, very close honorable mention. I, I think Ryan Glasgow is a guy that. Should not be slept on as well. And credit to you, John, as well as as Joe Goodberry. You guys have have sung his praises quite a bit this offseason, and rightfully so, noting what the defense was doing when he was healthy. I think, what, was he healthy three games or something? Two and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, he was only healthy a handful of games. So, granted, the sample size is small, but the examples were there, uh, and and you, you, you were able to see the difference. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. As I've mentioned a number of times, you can get this program on all kinds of different channels. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iTunes, and all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. So get our stuff how you can. We'll be getting you more episodes this both this week and other uh, other you know episodes and different things coming up in training camp as well as uh, preseason and in-season interviews, all that good stuff. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll be getting that to you coming up in the next couple of weeks and months. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. 
Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Well, let's close it up, John, with uh, how we closed up last episode. And let's talk about some potential breakout players this year. Uh, Do you want to go first? I'll go first. Okay. So a lot of people talk about the trio of Bengals receivers, and rightfully so. You have the guy we just talked about, AJ Green, dominant as ever. Tyler Boyd, ascending, should begin a second contract. John Ross, the enigma, who we think is good, but we just don't know it yet. But I think it's time to legitimately talk about Alex Erickson as a guy who can be featured in this offense. Now, I want to see it before I believe it, but I just remember in 2017, uh, before um, Boyd really, you know, before I guess there was that, that drop off and before obviously he broke out and whatnot, I, there was a legitimate argument you could make that Alex Erickson was a top three receiver on that team. And, he, you know, he didn't produce a ton his rookie year, but in the small instances that he did, he, he, he showed flashes in the pan. Now, he's not athletic necessarily. He's a scrappy white guy. What do you expect? Doesn't have, you know, great size to, to his nature. It's not a lot of things you can do with him. But I think in the small instances of what you can do with him, I think he can be fairly effective. Now, you know, the, the, the comparison to Cooper Cup has been brought up by, I think, um, uh, Michael Lombardi, who was on that one podcast when they're talking about his trade value whatnot. I don't think you can go that far, even though uh, Cooper Cup isn't this tremendous athlete in his own right. But, you know, better utilization of these pass catchers is a topic that we've brought up on multiple occasions and just making their lives easier, which therefore makes Dalton's life easier, getting them easier separation down the field, getting them better chances to get yards after catch. If if you're in an offense where you're in 11 personnel passing the ball, you know, 90% of the time, which is probably what we're going to see in this passing offense, then heavy rotation with those top three guys is going to be prevalent. And even, even then, so you can go into 10 personnel when you have four receivers on the field, Erickson's going to be on the field a decent amount, whether it's it's with four receivers or he's going to be rotated with Boyd in the slot. And I think, you know, he hasn't, I want to say he's only around, I think 30 career targets to his name. I think he can get 30 targets this year. And, you know, depending on how much they pass the ball coming off that running game is going to definitely impact that. But I think you look at how he finished the season last year, the chemistry that he established with Jeff Driscoll, if that carries over with Dalton, I think that can definitely work in his favor. But just in the early showings of OTAs and minicamp, they were running jet sweeps with him with, with the first team, him in the slot. He's going to have opportunities to get yards after catch. He's going to have the opportunity to just produce over a, a season-long stretch that he just hasn't been able to do in these three years. And I think they extended him more than to just be their primary return man because, honestly, he's productive as a return man, but he's not exactly exciting as a return man. And I think you could just utilize him more as a receiver to fit his more natural talents. And again, if you have injuries at that position like they had last year, I think Zach Taylor is not going to be as shy as maybe Marvin Lewis and Bill Lazor was about implementing him more into the offense. So with the way he finished last year, with the way he established chemistry with Jeff Driscoll, how that can potentially carry over to Andy Dalton and just the overall enigma with him and his overall involvement in this version of the offense, I just think he's a guy to watch out for. Did not necessarily eclipse the 400, 500 receiving yard mark. Just the guy who can be used more consistently and used to his strengths more predominantly. So last week you had... Sam Hubbard. Sam Hubbard. This week you have Alex Erickson. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last week, (laughs) thank you for the the pre-show reminder, uh, I had Jermaine Pratt, the the linebacker. Um, Is it... it Fair to put an offensive lineman as a breakout guy, John? Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to go Billy Price. And there you go. Um, we're, we're, we're doing the chicken little sky is falling thing about the offensive line, and rightfully so, with Jonah Williams and Clint Bowling. I was not impressed with Billy Price last year. There were, there were moments where I said – As okay, he shouldn't be. Yeah, right. And it's okay to be. There were moments where I saw on tape where it was not great at all. There were moments on tape that, and they were, they were flashes and or a little bit more than flashes, um, where it was like, wow, this is a, a this is a good upgrade over Russell Bodine. Um, there, there were there were flashes, and not that that's very difficult to do, but uh, seeing as how the guy started for four years with the Bengals beforehand, and now you got this move on, you know, 
it, it was a little refreshing. You saw some things where you go, okay, there's the athleticism, there's the second level blocking, things that we did not see on a consistent basis at all from Bodine. Not only is he not a rookie anymore, he's got a an offensive line coach who may or may not be an up, upgrade from Frank Pollock last year. Uh, he's healthy this offseason. Yeah. Last last year, he was unable to work out, really. He wasn't able to do much in these spring OTAs. Um, he has talked quite a bit into the media about wanting to have a better 2019 campaign, want to do more to help the team. Um, you know, last year, if you remember when he first started taking snaps at practice, there was a lot of uh, – I don't know if a lot, but there was some talk of him sailing snaps, which was like, oh boy, Uh, you know, a lot of different stuff. So I can see him, and granted, how often do you really, for casual NFL fans, you may not ever really notice the center, but I think if you see, and you saw some improvement towards the end of the year in terms of the run game with Joe Mixon and, and them getting some push there, especially in the interior, they were able to get some push from him. Um, so I think with an off season where he's actually got a strength and conditioning regimen under him instead of that torn pec, and then he had the foot injury to help, you know, I think if he's healthy, if he's healthy, uh, the I, I think that is going to be a, a big boost to the offensive line, which could provide a very nice cushion for the losses of Williams and or bowling. Um, you know, now center isn't going to be as necessarily important as a left tackle, but um, I think if he can improve, the run game can continue some momentum that it had from late in the year, especially under Joe Mixon. I think that that is a guy who could, you know, be a breakout guy. It can't, it might not even be at center. Hell, I mean, the Bengals have, you know, these guard center guys that are all on the roster. They could now, if bowling does not end up, you know, coming out to coming out for the Bengals this year, come out to play this this year for the Bengals, Price could be a candidate for guard. And then you bring in a Michael Jordan. I, I don't know. Trey Hopkins. All there, there's a lot of different areas and and potentially Billy Price could be a guy that breaks out at guard. We don't know. But I I think that with an offseason of being healthy an off season of, uh, of, you know, full workouts and everything like that. I think that will be a key. And I don't know if you agree with me or not, but uh, I, I look forward to seeing his potential improvement this year. I, I, I agree with you. And from the, from the get go, I've always considered him a better guard prospect than the center prospect. But the thing to remember is that I don't want him bouncing around from position to position. I don't want him moving to guard with the implication that he can be moved back to center. I think that can stun his development even more than it already is. But I do agree that having a healthy offseason for once is definitely good for him because primarily the issues that have followed him since his days at Ohio State haven't necessarily been technical. They've always just been physical. And having short arms at the position can mitigate your effectiveness in his own scheme to be able to reach those guys who are, you know, shaded off of the B gap and whatnot. And those are the same similar problems for, for Bodine. So that's when you saw some of those, those bad plays from last year thinking, okay, here we go again. We have four years with Bodine 2.0, but the good things are definitely better than Bodine because he's just more of a natural athlete and he can get out to the second level quicker. And he's kind of a nastier guy. He, he, he can definitely finish guys to the ground. So the, the issues with, with price were, you know, definitely followed him because he wasn't given the, the proper reps to, you know, work through them because he missed so much time with injury. So the more time he has to really perfect his craft, to be able to, you know, mitigate some of those physical issues that he deals with, the better chance that you can see, you know, a quality prospect be developed here from, from that first round pick because, you know, he's, he's despite him, you know, being a veteran player from college, the guy who started 50 games, there were definitely flaws with his game that just have to be, you know, just ironed out over time with just more reps. And it's not necessarily that that he was raw. It's just that he's going to have to perfect, nearly perfect his technique if he wants to ever overcome some of those physical limitations. And it's possible, and I'm rooting for him, but if the plan is for him to be at center, keep him at center. Just just keep that bed you made. If the plan is to move him to guard, fully commit to that. Now, yeah. I don't think it's necessarily going to be the thing, but if it is, go for it. But don't keep moving him back at the center and guard because that at that point, we'll, we'll just never see what he really is. Totally agree. 
good stuff, John. That so you have just to recap once again. You have Sam Hubbard and Alex Erickson. I have Jermaine Pratt and Billy Price. Yes, I just mentioned. So uh, we're going to do a handful more of these as each episode comes. And uh, if you have some, we'll we'll definitely take some some feedback and uh, hear yours when we do this countdown. But we'll do we'll do a handful more and keep it coming here on on the next handful of episodes, especially as training camp nears. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Get the show on a number of different channels. I've mentioned it a bunch of times. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, and YouTube, as well as get all of our material on cincyjungle.com. John, let's get out of here. Uh, yeah. any, any any final thoughts before we, we say adios, my friend? Or yeah, alo- so, aloha? Yeah, so if Logan Baker, if you're watching, I, I cleaned off my camera just for you. I hope I'm coming at closer to 1080p maybe 720p just to suffice but hopefully i'm just not a, a, a blurry figure in the background but yeah um the training camp is two weeks away we got two more shows before that happens so get at us with content ideas regarding covering training camp i'm going to be down there personally covering for for most of the practices so if you guys want you know personalized content for that definitely hit us up we're trying to make this as, as good as possible for when the, the pads officially come on i like it Let's uh, let's try and maybe yeah. I mean, if you're if you're there when we take the the air or uh, something like that, you know, we can we can interview interview from there. Or if you're able to land an interview or something, let's 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 get. Let's it not done. get too ahead of ourselves. There's no way they're going to credential us. Well, hey, well, you got you got the cloud, buddy. You got the cloud. <laughs> you got the you got the Twitter follow. Uh, well, th- uh, thanks, man. I'm glad you're. I'm glad the party ended up. The the infamous party ended up uh, going well. By the way. Speaking of that, early, uh, you had a number of different people wishing you a happy birthday. Uh, Isaac Cowlishaw, um, Patrick Judas from uh, from Cincy Jungle. They all they they said happy birthday. A couple of others did as well, I think. So, um, happy birthday, man! I wish I knew about that. I would have, uh, I don't know, I would have sent you a cake or some damn thing. I don't know. My my roommates did make me a cake. You know what it said? You're old, John. <laughs> Oh man, I wish I was 23 again, but um, <laughs> you're not old, man. You're not old. Although this team sometimes makes you feel it, it ages you. That is man, in Bengals fans years. I'm like a clean 67 <laughs> Bengals fans years. That's like dog years, cat years, right? Yeah. Oh man. Every, every one year of fandom is actually six years off your life or something like that. That's uh, that's how it goes. It's not healthy. Yeah. Well, thanks man. Uh, for those listening, we'll, we'll, it's a little TBD in terms of how we will be doing listener questions this week. Um, John and I will discuss, but probably going to be Friday uh, afternoon, evening for the Eastern time. And then, um, so, so keep it to our Twitter at Bengals OBI or one of our Twitter accounts at John underscore underscore Sheeran or at CJ Anthony CUI. Any of those Twitter accounts will be, will be throwing out some information on that as well as the Cincy jungle Twitter account. We will have the live Q and a thread on cincyjungle.com, So you can join uh, if you're unable to call in or anything like that, you can leave a question there. So um, we'll, we'll do it that way. And um, we'll let you know about the time and everything as of right now, it's a little up in the air, but, we plan on doing some listener questions as well as some other things in the near future. So keep it to our channel. Thanks for listening. We will see you. We'll see you soon. We'll see you Friday for listener questions. And then of course, next week for our episode, take it easy. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. 
Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.